one of the things that we talk about a lot is thinking about um, code being a liability. And so that's where we were so excited about AWS is because they're writing and battle testing all of this code that we don't have to. And in the DevGraph side, we're focusing on developer tooling based on AWS as the platform. So thinking about AWS, you know, that they've done that all over, over the entire computing space. And so we think this is, this is the platform that we want to build on. And so we just want to make that, that easier to use. We've got CloudFix, and that's a really, we're really excited about CloudFix. 40,000 different AWS accounts. And so we had to write some automation and tools to, to keep costs under control. Our long run goal, as I think about it, is I want to be the car talk of AWS, where people can just ask questions and we can think, okay, what's your particular setup and be able to just give advice that is backed by a lot of hard work experience. Please join me in welcoming Stephen Barr, Chief Evangelist at DevGraph to the show. Stephen, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thank you, John, for having me. Really happy to be here. So, Stephen, we got connected through a mutual friend and we started talking about DevGraph and what you guys do and what you're trying to do throughout the community. Let's first talk about you and then let's dive into DevGraph. Who is Stephen? All right, well, let's see. That's, I guess I am the oldest of five kids. Uh, see, my parents, Jeff and Carmen. See, I'm married. I have four beautiful kids. Let's see. I've been in tech for as long as I can remember. And yeah, I'm really enthusiastic about just technology, what it can take us, the, the promise of it. Uh, I, my first uh, exposure to science fiction was uh, Arthur C. Clarke and, and my dad's um, collection of I started with 2001 A Space Odyssey and kind of read as much as I could about Arthur C. Clarke and just got me so excited on what technology can do, where it can go. Yeah, so I've been in technology basically my whole life. I like it. also like the Lego but I guess, collection back there. So. Oh, thanks. Like I was telling you earlier, we used to have the original Lego monorail. That was my favorite set. I really enjoyed that one. I would, that one has, has vanished throughout the garage sales of history, but... I hope someone's enjoying it somewhere. Are you sure it vanished or it just isn't hidden? So one day it'll come back to you. I hope, <laughs> you know, I've seen these YouTube videos where the uh, people will buy the, you know, their, their dad's favorite long lost car that he sold to, you know, propose. I think maybe that'll, that'll show up with the, uh, with the monorail. Anybody out there watching this video, if you happen to have bought the monorail from one of the garage sales that happened with Jeff and Carmen, or maybe Stephen was around and he didn't know it, please give him a shout out. He has a little nostalgia for it and he would like yeah. it to see it again, maybe. Yeah, think Potomac, Maryland, circa 1992. <laughs> <laughs> now that's a good location for it. <laughs> All right, so Stephen, let's dive into it. What is DevGraph? Let's see, what is DevGraph? Okay, so DevGraph is part of a larger family of companies. There's, a, there's um, a larger company called ESW Capital, and we have DevGraph, we have Aria, we have DevFactory. And those those companies have been about... Just, what they do is that they, they acquire or build 
other technology companies and then they how do you say they um make them more efficient more operational and then um package them up into you know depending on the client base so devgraph we're focusing on developer tooling uh we have the aria brand which is all about kind of enterprise it and cloud cloud adoption so yeah and in the devgraph side we're focusing on developer tooling based on aws as the platform okay so in aria it's it's uh more geared towards the it and then dev devgraph is geared towards the developer and the tooling when you say developer exactly. and tooling can you be a little more specific what type of tooling are you talking about so one that we have we have called dev spaces and that is a cloud-based ide it will run on the aws graviton it's based on gitpod and also you know it runs vs code you can go to a git repository you can click on uh, dev spaces and it'll launch a web-based development environment from that exact point in your repository so say if you're on a certain branch, you just click the dev spaces button on that branch and it will launch a fresh development environment for you. And I guess the cool thing is you know, it's totally isolated from everything else on your system. So instead of trying to manage know, Docker containers and different bash scripts with different environment variables to set up, okay, I'm working in dev or I'm working in prod or I'm working in test, you can have that totally isolated for you with that all of the, I guess the ergonomics of doing it without dev spaces become a bit cumbersome. You, I imagine you'd have to set up your own environment, your own isolation and configuration with dev spaces. It's more of a, a virtual but global collaboration environment allowing you to test and you know kind of play around. Walk me through the process of getting started with like dev spaces. I, I click the button and it launches in my AWS account. It launches within your environment. How does that work? Okay, so on dev spaces is, is hosted on AWS and but the way that you would see it is just as, as a SaaS platform. But it's good to know that it's running in um, a US-based AWS region. So what I like about that, now I used to live in, in rural Australia. We didn't have the best internet connection. So when I was using dev spaces and say you're doing, um, you launch this development environment, it's running in the cloud and you do an NPM build, right? Well, without that, all of those packages are coming from your onto your personal internet connection, which can be quite limited, uh, especially over there. So being able to do that all within AWS and then running on AWS hardware. So, sorry, that was a bit roundabout way of saying it. So you hit the dev spaces button, it will, it will clone your repository. It will launch a fresh development environment. It will start up a web-based VS code and it'll hand you back a web-based VS code in a couple of seconds. And that has your code right there. You have you have to authorize it with GitHub because you know, it could read your, so it could read your repositories, and you can also set it up to have environment variables built in, like your AWS keys. So I have different projects in my in GitHub that have different AWS credentials associated with them, and I know that when I launch that dev space, I know exactly what credentials it's launching with. I know what environment variable it has access to. Uh, it can't have other, you know, if I'm switching back and forth between lots of different projects, it can be very easy to not switch your AWS keys and, and deploy something into the wrong place. Like, why can't I see this S3 bucket? Oh, wait, I'm I'm in the wrong context. I didn't specify the profile I'm supposed to use because I was incorrectly in it. I forgot all about it throughout the command. I can see that it can be cumbersome and, and not understanding where you deploy things mm -hmm. out. Yeah, and then also just not having to manage Docker. Uh, like Docker would be one way of doing this where you can encapsulate all your dependencies into one place. But then getting every developer on board with that 
it, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But this is this will do all of that behind the scenes. So it'll it's based on Docker and Kubernetes, but it's all you start dev spaces and you're actually inside of a Docker container running on a Kubernetes cluster, but you're not worried about all of that uh, all of that mechanics. You could just focus on the on the project at hand. Like it's one example use case. We've had customers who they want they have the whole project you know in a mono repo and they've got maybe an older version of Ruby and they've got you know, one a lot of different dependencies and they have this whole onboarding process that can be really difficult to get set up and maybe they just want to bring in um, say a contracted designer just to modify some some CSS well talking them through okay how do you actually get everything set up so you can test their website locally that can be a, an onerous process so being able to just say uh, click this button and it's all set up and then they can iterate on it on their own. That's, that's really powerful. Actually, that's really cool how quickly you can get set up and deployed because if you think about a developer who's coming in, you're, you want, you're hiring a contractor or somebody else, right? And you bring them in and you say, all right, listen, here's what I want to do. Now it's going to take them like two weeks, three weeks just to get set up, get their laptop set up, get everything configured. By the time you onboard them, you could have done the work yourself or at least kind of move some things around. Now you made it easy as a click of a button to deploy out everything, including all the dependencies, but with speed and agility, utilizing AWS and, you know, within the U.S. region, but you're not doing it locally. So they can be globally, but everything's doing it locally within like the U.S. So now you're pulling everything down rather quickly. You really nailed it in terms of that tension inside. Like, I could do this myself. And do I really want to spend all this time? And that's a dangerous way of thinking, right? Because you have to learn how to delegate. That's an important, important skill. Yep. But then it's really easy to, if there's a huge fixed cost associated with bringing other people, you're just, you're just not going to do it. Um, so being able to just say, here you go, you, you click on this, this button and you're in the repository and you have all the, all the startup scripts and everything is just ready to go. It's really useful. And also just in terms of architectures. So we run on, like I said, we run on x86 or on ARM on the Graviton. And that way you don't have to deal with you know, who has access to what. Right? Like if, if your developers happen to have a, you know, a Linux ThinkPad, they're not going to be able to test ARM-specific things. And then vice versa. A lot of developers have M1 Macs. They won't be able to test x86 things. Actually, funny, it reminds me of this. There's one place where I, I worked a while ago, and we spent a bit of time fixing a, a Mac-specific bug. And it had nothing to do with, yeah, we didn't have any Macs in production. We were all deploying to Amazon Linux too, but it affected development and enough people had to deal with it. We had to spend time fixing it. And so it's things like that where we really don't want to have to be dealing with that. So it kind of really kind of made it hardware agnostic and you're running on either x86, the ARM technology, Graviton. Why Graviton or ARM? Well, that's that's another. We're big proponents of Graviton. Well, it's it's cheaper. It's it's yeah, it's cheaper. AWS designed silicon. Um, from a power perspective, it's really neat. They run a lot um, cooler than ARM-based chips. So that's why your your iPhone can have great battery life and not burn a hole in your pocket, right? Because it's it doesn't take as much power. So the Graviton is AWS designed silicon. They've rolled they're rolling it out quite extensively to, excuse me, other different regions. And we really believe in it for, for most applications. 
And also Graviton is running a lot of the managed services, like there's Graviton-based RDS and Elasticache. So if you're using a managed service, you really shouldn't care what's the underlying architecture, right? That should be abstracted away from you. So basically, since you're shifting left, utilizing AWS managed services, and I hate to use the term, but it's really taking the you know the heavy footprint off of you and the burden of kind of managing the environment and just utilizing the services that are available. How are you making AWS easy? Well, I guess okay. That's there's a lot there. So I'll start with. Um, it's a loaded question. I know you have yeah. so much to think, but I wanted to, we're going to get into so much to talk about. That's why I asked it. Okay, cool. Okay. Well, I guess staying with the development environment for a while. So we don't have to worry about matching your dev environment and your prod environment. So you're probably deploying to AWS, but then dealing with the difference between, okay, I hope my laptop, my personal environment matches the environment I'm going to deploy to. Well, that's, there's a lot of room for error in that. I mean, I think our our stacks are getting so enormously big. And there's there's just a difference, right? We, a lot of people work on Mac OS or or Windows or their own personal flavor of, of Linux that they're they're using. It's probably different than where you're deploying to. So if you're deploying to AWS, you might as well work on an environment that's as close to that as you can. And so Dev Spaces helps you work in an environment that's a lot more similar to your production environment. So that's one way. Another way we make AWS easier, we're working on another product called DevFlows, which is a like a more no-code, low-code solution for, for wiring things together. Like you could have a, an S3 bucket and say you want to drag that into um, recognition and say, okay, when a file shows up in this S3 bucket and it has a .mp4 extension, and drop it into recognition, and then take the output of that, filter it, and maybe create a ticket in a in Jira or something like that. So we're we're making a we're making that that's still in progress, and that will go through the Aria brand. And then also we've got our AWS Made Easy live stream where we just Raul and I we sit and, and talk about AWS latest announcements, and try and just sort through it all because there's so much. And it takes a lot of time to figure out, well, what's relevant, what's important, what should I take from this? And we want it to be a resource. I think we, do you, you remember the audio show Car Talk? Mm-hmm. Yep. I think our, our long-run goal, as I think about it, I want to be the Car Talk of AWS, where people can just ask questions and we can think, okay, what's your particular setup? And be able to just give advice that is backed by a lot of hard-won experience. I like that. Let's talk about DevFlow. And then I want to talk about what you guys are doing uh, with regards to AWS and how they're releasing and how to filter through some of that uh, data. So with DevFlow, it sounds like more of a, maybe like a, a pipeline or a rule set or a step function to do certain actions, or is there more to it? Like, you know, how does it work? Well, I guess one, one way of comparing it so it has a graphical interface and you can drag on these, these adapters that represent AWS services. And you can think of it as a, like a directed acyclic graph. That's kind of the data model where you have something that will trigger it like a, like an S3 bucket, or you can set up a web hook to trigger it. And then you basically drag and drop these, these icons that represent different AWS services. And then the, the links between the icons, the edges, you have an opportunity to do data transforms and also filters. 
And then we will take care of turning that into a deployment on AWS. And so the idea is for for teams who, who may not be comfortable writing a big CloudFormation template and writing all the code themselves, here's one way of of connecting all these pieces, but it's not a it's not a black box. You can see all the different pieces, you know which AWS accounts they're going into. There's no proprietary hidden services under the hood. We're just helping you connect things that are that are already there. Okay, wait, Steven, we gotta talk after this show. I just had this idea because right now I take a lot of my, you know, podcasts and I will convert them to transcripts. I would love to do some drag and drop to me. I don't want to have to write new code to do things and how to transcribe it. I would love to just drop the file right into S3 and, you know, kind of tie everything together, go transcribe. And then it's back into the S3 and this no code that I had to put together. It's almost like a uh, Zapier type thing. By the way, Zapier is not a sponsor, but I just want to kind of flow through it. Is that you're you're moving things around and you don't have to write code to it. So we that's the exact. Um, that's a great analogy. And I, I like Zapier a lot. It's it's and we think about it as that, but with it's AWS native. Yeah. I think that is awesome, by the way, what you guys are trying to do. I got to test this out. I, I know you're still working on it, but I, I have some ideas for some things that I am doing as not only a podcaster, but you know, daily in the AWS, some cost things. Uh, you well, can do some we'll, certain functions. Well, definitely we'll, we'll talk about that. So one of the things that I've got going for, for our live stream, so we have a, a flow that when... And I've tested this out with both the dev flow and just writing it out in, in code based on a Lambda function. But when we get the transcript and that transcript goes into an S3 bucket, well then, okay, run comprehend on it, get the tags, extract the tags that are that are entities, and then match them up to AWS entities. So we know when we go through a show, we know all the different AWS entities that we talked about in that show. And then later I could wow. say, give me all the episodes where we talked about DynamoDB. And I like that. Oh my God. So I can see that and utilizing it and picking out all the AWS services. And now you can filter these off of your website or a library of stuff and like, okay, here's all the tags associated with that service. I want to learn more. You know what? You should go to DevGraph and take a look and just run this. And now you'll be able to pull out all the information on where the talks they had. Yeah, well, I'll I'll have that in the public pretty soon. We we I'm working on a a live stream automation repository that shows you know a lot of the different services that we use. We use Comprehend. We use the other thing that we do with our live stream is so when we're planning out the segments. Okay, I say okay, we're going to talk about five or six different articles from AWS. Well, I want to generate a little transition video, and so I use this this non-AWS API called ShotStack. And it can take our, our generic transition video. It's like a an eight second little jingle and an animation of Raul and I, and it will inject the, the title of the article that we want to talk about. It'll inject it right into that video. And then I have that queued up. And then so when it's time to actually talk about that video, I queue that transition. And then within that video, there's a few seconds of no audio and no video. And recognition segment detection API will pick that up and then later when I drop the final recording into my S3 bucket, it'll trigger some automation, which will say, hey, here's all the, the time markers of the different segments you talked about. Because I found that was really time consuming, but why should I go through when AWS has recognition segment detection? They could do that for me. Okay, I'm gonna have to play around with that. I do that, powers. I do a lot of that myself. Well, I found it to be so, well, I guess, 
what do you call it? Programmers are fundamentally lazy, right? So I said, oh, I really don't enjoy this part of it where I'm going back through and trying to figure out when did we switch from this article to that article? And so now it's, that's all automated where we use segment recognition detection to tell us, okay, when did we switch from this context to that context? And then that will create a bunch of tasks in my, in my task list. Okay, here's all the different highlights that I want to then promote over the coming week. Well, Stephen, I want to jump over to what you're doing around the live streams for AWS and kind of picking things out with Raul. How are you deciding what to talk about? AWS releases so much daily. How are you filtering through all the noise of what's relevant and what's not? Well, I guess that a lot of that comes down to what well, we'll meet before the show and we'll look at uh, all of the different announcements that have happened since the last show. And really, I guess it comes down to experience plus personal interest in terms of, okay, what's the most relevant to a general audience? Like sometimes features that will come out, which will only ex only be relevant to a, a smaller audience. We'll try to pick features that are more generally relevant. And I guess also personal interest. If there's something that comes up about Graviton, we're definitely going to talk about that. Are, are you going to talk about, oh, Graviton was released in this region, that region, or more specifically to enhancements to Graviton or a new release or upgrade to it? Well, it's funny. Sometimes we have <laughs> I had those... to pick that out because regions are always announced for new services being released. Well, I guess sometimes we'll take one of those announcements and say, okay, this is a, we'll spend about 20% of the time talking about the, the actual thing. Right. Oh yeah, Sao Paulo just got access to this new version of this. Okay, great. Let's talk about the broader context. This is really exciting. This thing is growing. We really mm -hmm. like this. Let's and we'll have a, a more general discussion for a few minutes, and then we'll loop back around and we'll say, okay, what do we think of this article? And one of the ways we we kind of rate the the discussions at the end. So we'll give it a a like, you know five clouds out of five or three and a half clouds out of five, and we'll also say, does this add simplicity or uh, complexity to your life. And so we'll give it a simplicity or complexity tag. Wait, you do that live for each we of the do. topics that you do, like out of clouds. <laughs> That's nice. I was watching one of your live streams uh, on LinkedIn the other day, but I never got to the the cloud thing. I was off on another tangent. I was, I was commenting on it. I'm not sure if it was part of that or not. Well, that was more of an interview. So when we do interviews, sometimes that we don't do that as much. So we have two basically different types of segments. One of them, we call it the what's new review, where we're talking about the new articles. And then sometimes we interview, in this case, we were interviewing um, Marcos Ortiz, who he just started the Graviton weekly newsletter. So we just had a, a more general Graviton chat with him. But we did review one article together. Now for a quick interruption, a huge shout out to our friends at Veeam for sponsoring this episode. Veeam backup for AWS can easily protect all of your Amazon EC2, RDS, and VPC data. Wait a second, they can protect my VPC data too? Yep, that's right. Simplify AWS backup and recovery while ensuring security and compliance. All right, now back to our episode. He gave it a five clouds out of five, which Raul is more conservative with his rankings. I'm kind of in the middle. <laughs> that was, but we were all happy about that one. Uh, you know what? I'm going to watch it. I'm going to have to give you a shout out for the clouds. I like that idea. Do you pop up little clouds? We do. <laughs> we have a little overlay, um, in StreamYard, And so once we come to a discussion, I'll, I'll put, push the button for that little overlay and we'll have a, it'll pop up on the bottom. 
you should have between the two of you. you he pops up yours you pop up yours and it's a discussion like all right why did you give it it's like you holding up the number exactly and usually what will hurt an article is if they don't have any examples we always like good examples or screenshots mm -hmm. but that's it's a fun it's 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 i guess it anchors the discussion in terms of what we like and we, we like things that are are simple and relevant and easy to use so Stephen, what else are you doing around that? I mean, are you doing the live streams? You have a YouTube channel. For those who don't are not aware of it, definitely check them out on YouTube. You can just type in the YouTube search, DevGraph. You'll find it. His episodes are growing, the number that are increasing. You're doing a great job. I mean, first of all, I love the thumbnails. I'm a, I'm a big proponent of having fun during a podcast or a live stream, and the thumbnail has to kind of go in, in with it. The one that I like the most, we just started a, a Dev Spaces hackathon series, and I'm giving that a real kind of cyberpunk vibe. And so check out the uh, the intro to that. I really like that. Uh, my designer, Alex, she's she's really good at, at putting these together. But we have this kind of cyberpunk um, car, and you know how it's driving in that like driving into the distance with the with the neon grid and it's avoiding Kubernetes and avoiding Docker and avoiding local installs that it zooms into the distance. Uh, with a triumphant uh, dev spaces with this cool, cool um, like 80s cyberpunk music in the background. So I really like that. <laughs> well, a good shout out to that. I'll share everybody a link in the description below. Sure. Steven, talk to me a little bit more about DevGraph and some of the things you're doing. Uh, I know you have something called CodeFix. What's that about? So CodeFix, we're still incubating that, but it will, the idea is for large code bases, we can, we can pull in, an enormous amount of code and basically every function in every commit over time. And then we can do some kind of semantic analysis on it to see, okay, where are, where are hotspots in the code? Where are things changing? Uh, what are the kind of seams in the code where you'd want to perhaps replace a, a native service with a managed service, that sort of thing. And that's, that's still pretty early on, but we should update that with, with more, with more context, but that's coming. And the, the folks over on the uh, the Trilogy University side of the organization, there's a, a lot of the young folks there who are who are doing some really incredible things and coming up with new ideas and implementing them in this in this platform. So with CodeFix, is there an idea of seeing repeatable code and then making it a more of a function and minimizing the number of lines in the code, inserting variables when needed, suggestions? Is it doing the work for you or just suggesting it? I think it's just suggesting. But then again, I'm not... We're still, this is still in development Yep. in terms of what, what it'll end up being in its final form. And, you know, it's, these things evolve over time and, and with new ideas and new people looking at it and, and thinking, okay, I've got an idea. They can, they're very open to adding new things and trying them out. So when it comes out in its final form, I'm not sure what it'll look like, but I'm, I'm excited for it. I like that. Steven, what is your long-term goal of DevGraph? I know you want to be to the go-to like, you know, AWS person to have it in a talk show. I think that's really admirable to sit down and discuss all those things. But what's your long-term goal of like DevGraph and the community, the involvement? Well, I guess zooming out, we really like AWS as the, the platform or the operating system of the future. I'm just kind of almost getting a little bit nostalgic thinking about the computing we used to do, right? Where you're thinking about very low level things. And I remember in my first job of, I, I was working at uh, an email hosting company when I was a teenager. And it was just me and this 
uh, a good mentor of mine who'd retired from Microsoft in his in his mid thirties, and he started his email hosting company. And he said, oh, "You need to learn about networking, and you have to learn about." Uh, and so at that point, it was the Linux two point two kernel and IP chains. And at one, and my my fifteen year old self knew that stuff in and out. But now think about it was so complicated and, and convoluted, and now thinking about what you can do with security groups, right? That would take what you what you used to spend weeks trying to figure out you can do in in a few minutes with a few clicks uh, so thinking about aws you know that they've done that all over over the entire computing space and so we think this is this is the platform that we want to build on and so we just want to make that that easier to use for people and to offer tools that can make it easier like i said for on the software development side that's dev spaces or dev flows as that matures to be able to do low code cloud native deployments and also just offer opinionated uh, guidance and, and advice. Like this is the larger organization, they've they've dealt with so much code, both you know, new code bases and also older code bases through through acquisition or just through the passage of time. I think at one point they had um, forty thousand AWS accounts under management, and so they've written a lot of automation of how to handle that, how to understand that, and how to comprehend that. And so just being able to offer advice, perspective, and for our enterprise customers working on cloud integration, you know, how do they, how do they even get started? What's, what's the right technology to look at? Should they jump right into serverless to being able to offer some, some advice that's been, I guess, matured over a lot of, a lot of time working in the cloud. So is it safe to say now AWS, for me, understanding when I got started, it was a lot easier because it had a limited number of services. Now it's like 210 plus and understanding those, but you truly are making it easier for developers and engineers to get their hands on and utilize it and understand it better uh, because there's so much involved. This is kind of simplifying the process. Yeah, it's it's really, it's a big part of it is just having that perspective. You know, I used, I used to be in, um, in academia and uh, when I was an undergrad I was asking one of my professors, I said, how do I know if this, if this paper is good or not? And he said, well, when you know that you, you are a professor, that's how you know that. And I think about it with AWS and not to say that we're professors of AWS, but being able to look at everything that's happening and then say, what, what path should I take? Uh, where, where, where am I in my cloud journey and what path should I take that, you know, that takes some experience and some time and, and then DevGraph and then the larger organization, they've had a lot of experience with, you know, companies all through their, their process and to be able to offer hopefully useful advice and, and good tooling to make it easier to be in the cloud. Uh, you know, there's a quote that Warner Vogels always says, and I'll probably butcher it, but it's somewhere along the there's no shortcut or compression algorithm for experience, right? And the experience that you guys are, and I probably butchered it, but sorry, Warner. But, uh, you know, that's really what you're coming in with. And I think the experience of you working not only, you know, as a young age on the mail server and everything you've done kind of helps you throughout the process of simplifying it for folks. I mean, don't you feel that that knowledge has helped you today? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I have lots of fun stories you can share. Um, yeah, just about things that have gone right, things that have gone wrong. It, and it's, yeah, th those really help to understand, it kind of clarify your purpose and your process 
Um, yeah, I'm happy to share any of those. Yeah, actually, you know what? Why don't you share one of the stories and you can pick it one that didn't go right or didn't go right and then finally went right or whatever you want. I actually, <laughs> I enjoy stories on the show. All right, so, okay, and I'm, I'm withholding names, but this is this is a long time ago now. But I was I was working with a very traditional company, and I guess the part of the story is about how do you find trusted expertise. And so I was I was working with this very traditional company, and they had this machine learning model that was supposed to predict certain customer needs, so they kind of preemptively fill those needs on a. It was kind of a hardware and consumable combination. And so this this organization had had purchased this extremely expensive machine learning product. And they had tasked someone with 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 implementing it, and somehow there was this this communication breakdown in this process, and the person who the person who was supposed to implement it they they couldn't figure out that the infrastructure wasn't set up for them to actually implement it, and their complaints weren't being heard, so they they ended up kind of writing their own machine learning model. But they wrote it in a way that was a pile of about 1,200 stored procedures uh, in SQL, because the only tool this person had at their disposal was SQL, and the, the the greater organization couldn't couldn't grasp the fact that he needed access to things that that were outside of SQL. So he, at some point, he just threw up his hands and said, "Okay, I'm going to write this giant pile of stored procedures to implement this machine learning model." And he did, and I was brought in to calibrate the model and tune the model. And it turns out they weren't using that expensive product at all. They were just using this guy's giant stack of stored procedures and no one knew about it. But and so I guess the point is they didn't they didn't have trusted expertise. They didn't have great communication. So it led to this like really strange situation where this expensive software that they thought they were using, they weren't actually even using it. And when their database started getting slower and slower and slower, they didn't understand. And I, so I was digging in there as a as a young consultant trying to figure out. And I had to I had to have some strange phone calls after that one. I can imagine the phone call. Yeah, I came to tune the system. It's not being used. In fact, yeah, it's not, still brand new I, out of the box. Yeah, yeah, it was a strange one. But but I guess what I really appreciated in that perspective was they didn't it was hard for them to access advice that was useful to them and they didn't know how to screen for it. And so just being able to say, okay, we have got a lot of experience with AWS demonstrable experience, and we can give you good advice and good guidance and good tooling. So you don't go down this garden path, then later we'll take a lot of uh, work to get out of. And dev graph, AWS trusted developers, developers for AWS trusted. I think you get, I, I'm trying to come up with a new slogan for you. I, I think the way you come across, I, I think you genuinely want to help folks, you know, within their environments, within the developers and create something that makes it easier for them and listening to them, you know, really being like customer obsessed. And that's, you know, one of AWS's core values and you're following suit with that and creating and working with customers and making things really easy for them. Yeah, that that's that's a great summary. We want to make it just make it easier for people to use AWS to to build on it. I mean, it's, I think it's the coolest thing, right? Thinking about this sounds kind of funny, but like when I think about science fiction and I see some robot who's you know looking at the world, I say, are they running recognition V three? Is that what's happening in there? You know, like you start to think at some point 
our reality is going to catch up to what we're seeing on this screen. And there's going to be, you know, code and functions that are going to have to make that possible. And, and maybe we're seeing the, the, uh, the beginnings of them, you know, right now. And so I think we are part of it. Yep. No, you guys are a big uh, part of something huge. Uh, so Steven, before we wrap things up, is there anything else you'd like to talk about around DevGraph or leave the audience with? Well, we've got CloudFix and that's a really, we're really excited about CloudFix. That's, so I said earlier, the, the organization had at one point, you know, 40,000 different AWS accounts. And so we had to write some automation and tools to, to keep costs under control. And so that was really, really, so they developed CloudFix and the idea is, okay, what are some very simple, no impact fixes that can be, that can be deployed in order to, I guess, yeah, to save money. And it's not, we're not, and CloudFix will never say, oh yeah, re-architect the whole thing. They're saying things like switch your EBS volumes from GPT-2 to GPT-3. There's no reason why you wouldn't want to do that. That's just a, essentially like a, an arbitrage in terms of cost savings, but it's not the default path. So CloudFix can scan your AWS account. We know a bunch of things to look for, and then it'll generate a change manager chain set for you and say, okay, here's the change that we think you should do. This is how much we're going to think. This is how much it will save you if you do this. Do you want to click this button and go for it? And you can review it. And then if you want to, it'll start saving you money. Even I was hoping you'd talk about CloudFix because I was a PSA for cloud management tools at AWS and cost optimization is one of my key things. Like I have, you know, I, I kind of geared towards it and all the things that you're able to do impossible. Going GP2 to GP3 to me seems like a no-brainer. I mean, it's a win-win, not only faster, cheaper, but it's just one of the things. IO1 to IO2, there's like just so many things and possibilities that you can do. CloudFix, here's a question for you. CloudFix, can it scan? And you mentioned they have what, like 40,000 AWS accounts at once. Can CloudFix scan all my accounts? Yeah, you can. You you can give it, um, there, there's advice on the kind of credentials. Give, you know, we'll give it a read-only type of credential. It won't go in there and change things for you, but it'll generate a change set for you that then you can then look at and say, okay, do I want to deploy this change? And then you can, and it will it will save you money. Talk to me about some of the other capabilities of CloudFix. Uh, what are some of the other things that it looks for and how does it come up with these? Are these a manual implementation where you say, I want to look at one of the, you know, right sizing, or this is one thing I want to look at optimizing my Lambda function. It will look at certain VPC configurations. And again, I'm not understanding the exact details of this particular part, but there's certain situations where data transfers can be enormously expensive and it can say, Hey, it can alert you to these things and say, this is a different way to configure it where you won't accumulate this type of charge. Data transfers are huge and a hidden cost for a lot of folks because they can't visually see that or predict it. You can't go to the AWS cost calculator and say, Hmm, let's predict my data transfer cost is going to happen because your data is going to grow as quick as possible, but visualizing it using CloudFix will help you understand where a lot of your cost is going to, and maybe you can actually change some of your configuration in order to optimize the data transfer between VPCs or stay isolated within your AWS account. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we can, and so the people who are making CloudFix, what they do is they're always reading the AWS um, trusted, the, the advisories, and they're looking for, okay, how do we automate finding this? And then how do we automate generating a chain set to implement that. And so we're just, we're growing that library all the time. And we have every incentive to do that.
Nice. I like the AWS cost portion of it. And I think that's key being in a developer because as a developer, you're not really focusing on the cost in general. And now this does go into like DevOps or cost DevOps, however you want to kind of put it into a perspective. But looking at visualizing the cost that you're doing per environment and what you're deploying is actually key where you're working bottom up and the financial person is not coming to you and say, hey, listen, I need to minimize costs. Now you're working in an operational model and not a CapEx model. Yeah, yeah, ex exactly. And just kind of zooming out, right? You have to, we, we, we're really excited about all the things you can build on AWS, but that doesn't happen if you run out of money. So being able to- <laughs> That's right, a good so, way to put it. Right, and so we're, you know, we're not gonna be the ones who solve, I don't know, all any one of the number of crises that we're facing, but code's going to solve that. And we want to make sure that the, those people's code can stay running and that those businesses can stay running so that they can do the good things that they're doing. Yeah. Okay. So um, I guess there's a name, the cloud fix is the one that's doing the cost scanning code fix. will be looking at an actual code bases and that, that will be coming out. That's still in the experimental phase. Yep. That's awesome. So but I was thinking about, go ahead. I guess one thing that I was thinking about when I was, thinking about, okay, dev spaces. I was looking at the um, the state of the Octop Octoverse report that GitHub puts out, and it all comes down to um, code bases that can quickly merge pull requests are the ones that evolve successfully. And so by being able to switch development environments and switch context quickly, that's where you can really iterate quickly. And so that's why we, where we see dev spaces fitting in. Say if you have to or look at a look at a request that changes some dependency and you're hesitant to do that on your local machine because you just got things set up right. You finally got virtual env doing what you wanted to. And someone says, hey, on this branch, I've I've changed, you know, I'm working on a, a, a changeover from say MySQL to Postgres. And on this branch, and this actually happened to me once where I was doing two different code reviews and they were the same, the same code base, but branching in two different ways. And so it was really, I wish I'd had access to dev spaces at that time because I could just keep them separate. They're just different browser tabs. I don't have to deal with how do I look at the same code base twice on my same machine, but with totally different dependencies kind of underlying them. It, was, it felt like a bit of a Rube Goldberg. And so I didn't <laughs> want to be, I'm glad that that's all automated away now. Just you know, start up one tab for this branch, one tab for this branch, and that's all you have to worry about. Sounds like your speed to development or go to market for a lot of things where you're deploying it, testing it out. And now you can see like kind of a blue green type model. Yeah. And even things like um, experimenting on Graviton, right? So you can say if you, you're x86, you could just fire up your code on our, on our Graviton environment and just see if it works, right? It's not this big difficult thing where you have to spin up an instance by hand and then set up your keys so it has access to your code. You could just, you could just try it. Nice. I like it. It kind of simplifies the process. You're not worrying about the underlying infrastructure. Yeah. Nice. So Steven, uh, before I wrap it up, anything else you want to leave with the folks? I guess one of the things that we talk about a lot is thinking about um, code being a liability. And so that's where we were so excited about AWS is because they're writing and battle testing all of this code that we don't have to. And so I remember uh, one of my colleagues, he just bought a new, um, a new Mercedes and he, he was repeating one of the talking points from the salespeople. He said, there's 18 million lines of code in this car with him. And, you know, in my head as a developer, I'm like, oh, that's a, 
Man, all, I'd be sweating that. Yeah, no, and our, our car at the time was you know completely mechanical. Um, and there's actually an interesting story uh, over in the Seattle area. There's a certain, there's three years of Mazdas. I think it's 2014 to 2017, where the local NPR station broadcasts uh, some metadata, but there's some something wrong in the metadata parser of the infotainment systems of Mazdas of this year, where they can actually get bricked over the air. Just and you know it's probably some stupid you know file name parser of of the image of the radio station's logo, and just for these this brand of this one brand of car and this code that's locked away and can't be replaced and can't be modified, and whoever wrote that you know if they had access to some more general string parsing library that was written and battle tested you know at, at a ten thousand times the scale maybe they wouldn't have run into that problem, so. Because zooming out, we see AWS is they're doing all of the core utility code that's just annoying to write, annoying to rewrite, of you know, putting up API endpoints and securing them and getting data into this place and out of this place. That code's been written a lot of times, but letting AWS do it, and then you can just know what's out there and build on it, and you can just do things so much faster. You can focus on the outcome or the business application because AWS is handling the managed side of it and already doing a lot of that heavy lifting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We don't have to think about scaling and um, and even some of these higher level things like recognition, right? Like I've I've built, you know, tried to build you know image processing things in in my machine learning classes, and they're really hard to do well. But thinking, okay, recognition is a model that's been trained on more data than I'll ever have access to and validated on more data than I'll ever have access to. So just use that. Don't try and do it yourself. And then focus on what can you do with recognition. Also, I did not know that Mazda's uh, that year could become a brick. I'm going to make sure I don't purchase it. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it's just the infotainment system. And I guess it's just a funny... Yeah, it's just one, it's one example of how this code... I don't know, how, how code could be a liability, right? Because all, every code that you that you write, it lives longer than you think it will. Yep. So just, we, we try to minimize the amount of code that gets written and lean on AWS as heavily. And usually for a given business, right? The core value is in a, a really small amount of business logic that ties together things in a unique way. But then there's all this layers and layers and layers on top of it. Uh, and it's hard because, you know, it's, it's it was built over a lot of period of time. So you feel very attached to it. But at the end of the day, it's better to offload that to AWS and let them let them do that part and you can focus on the, the core value part. I think it's a real world use case on something that happened because then you can take that and if, if they took it and did what you recommend them to do ahead of time, the battle tested, don't have to worry about it. And these examples, these will be caught before actually going to production. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, Stephen, thank you so much for joining the show. I really, it's been a pleasure having you. Oh, thank you for having me. And uh, yeah, really appreciate it. Looking forward to seeing you at reInvent soon. Oh, we, you know what? Before we wrap things up, I got to give a shout out to you. We are going to be at reInvent. Steven's going to be joining us in the hospitality suite that's happening. Live stream events, podcasts. Raul's going to be there as well. We're going to be talking about CloudFix and some of all the benefits, but what AWS is releasing. Steven, I can't wait to see you out there. Yeah, looking forward to seeing you, meeting you in person, and, uh, and joining you in the hospitality suite. That's going to be great. Yeah, it's going to be lots of fun. Everybody, Stephen Barr, Chief Evangelist at DevGraph. As always, my name's John Meyer. Thank you for joining us. Don't forget to hit that like, subscribe, and notify because guess what? We're out of here.